Well, amen. We're in Joshua chapter 21 tonight, Joshua chapter 21. Please pray for Pastor. He's uh, been under the weather for the last couple of days, and uh, so when he was battling some sickness, we just decided pretty quickly it would be easier if I prepared to preach tonight than him. So uh, he's at home resting tonight. He's excited about Sunday. This Sunday is our Lord's Supper Sunday, and uh, it's a great way to start a new year. It feels like it's already our second Sunday in January, but it's not. It'll be our first Sunday in January, and uh, we'll be starting out with the Lord's Supper. And tonight we'll continue in our series in Joshua. Uh, We're going to cover three chapters, so I'm going to talk quickly, uh, but we are going to cover Joshua 21 through 23 tonight. I wanted to mention a couple of other things, just prayer requests, uh, things to be aware of as we begin tonight. One is many of you have been praying for Lauren Kneffel, and I wanted to give a quick update about Lauren. I was in communication with Sean just about an hour ago, and uh, Lauren is is improving, and uh, It was a successful surgery. They were moving her uh, from ICU about an hour ago when when we were communicating. And uh, she was able to actually take a short walk this morning, which was an amazing thing. And uh, they they were waking her up every single hour when she was in ICU. The big prayer request right now is she's in a lot of pain. And uh, just pray that they would be able to manage that pain. And then also that she would be able to get some sleep with them waking her up every single hour or needing to check on her every single hour. Uh, she's not been able to get much sleep, and that, that is going to do her a world of good. And so pray that she's able to get some sleep even now, uh, that, that through this time over the next number of hours that she would be able to get that rest that she needs. But uh, God is good, and uh, God brought her through that surgery. It was a long, long surgery, about 12 hours. And uh, But praise the Lord for his goodness in her life. And I know we love the Kneffel family. I wanted to give you that update uh, here this evening. Another update is uh, many of you remember back in November, Brother John Roycroft passed away, and uh, we will be celebrating his life this Saturday. We have a celebration of life service on Saturday right here in the worship center. That will be at 2 p.m., and uh, so we want to encourage you to come out and to take part in that service this Saturday in just a few days from now at 2 p.m., and I know Miss Liz would, would appreciate anyone that's able to come out. You all have been such a support to her and an encouragement to her. Brother John was such a blessing to Rosedale. I led the choir for many years. That predates me. I've been here for about 12 years now. That predates me, but he's just was a warrior within our children's ministry for many, many, many years. And I know if you have had children that were underneath of John and Liz Roycroft, you were blessed by them. And John Roycroft was a blessing to my children and, and to so many others and uh, has been a blessing to Rosedale and uh, we're going to celebrate his life this Saturday at 2 p.m. So if you can make it out, uh, we would encourage you to do so. All right, we're in Joshua chapter 21 tonight. I, I think it would be good if we just opened in a word of prayer and then we'll jump in tonight. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful just for your goodness in our life. 
Lord, thank you for the successful surgery yesterday, such a, such a tedious, delicate thing that, that you allowed the doctor to have confidence to walk through. Lord, thank you for guiding the doctor's hands. And Lord, thank you for the success in that surgery and Lord, the, the reports since then. Lord, we ask for Lauren right now that you would allow her to get the rest that she needs, that she can manage the pain that she's going through. Lord, that she would have recovery and relief from this. Lord, we, we know that you are healing her body even as we speak. And Lord, we give you praise for that. Uh, Lord, we ask you for the, the celebration service this Saturday. Lord, that you would be honored and glorified uh, by a life well lived for you, that honored and glorified you. And Lord, thank you for just the testimony that lives on uh, because of what jo- John was able to do here at Rosedale and, and throughout the community. Lord, we give you praise. Lord, tonight we ask for Pastor uh, that you would help him to recover very quickly from the sickness that has gotten him the last couple of days. And Lord, we are excited about what you're going to do over the coming days on Sunday and, and uh, Lord, as we begin a new year. And Lord, I pray that as we look into your word now that you would teach us, that you would guide and direct us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Joshua chapter 21, in verse 1, we read, Then came near the heads of the fathers of the Levites unto Eleazar the priest, and unto Joshua the son of Nun, and unto the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spake unto them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded by the hand of Moses to give us cities to dwell in, with the suburbs thereof for our cattle. And the children of Israel gave unto the Levites out of their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord, these cities and their suburbs. Now let me catch you up to speed if you've not been following along with what has been happening here in the book of Joshua. I know maybe you are not as familiar with some of these passages and maybe you've been in workshops. And Let me just catch you up to speed as to what is happening here. In the book of Joshua, of course, this is the children of Israel going to claim the promised land. And as they claim the promised land, they were to go to all parts of the promised land. And and over the last number of chapters, it is Joshua dividing out the land as God had promised that the children of Israel, that the tribes of Israel would be able to have their own inheritance, their own land that they, that they were going to be living in. And they were claiming this land and Joshua is dividing all of this out. Now we're kind of on the heels of Joshua dividing out all of this land. And there's one tribe left, the the Levites. Now the Levites were the spiritual leaders within Israel. And what their inheritance was to be is they were to have Levitical cities throughout all of Israel. The reason for those Levitical cities throughout all of Israel is because Jerusalem would be a distance from a number of those those towns and those cities. And and so having a Levitical city within one day's travel of everyone within Israel, at least the vast majority of people, would allow them to continue with their traditions, allow them to continue with their spiritual sacrifices, allow them to continue to be spiritually guided 
guided by these spiritual leaders, the Levites. And so what was to happen is their inheritance would be scattered throughout the different tribes that had now received their inheritance, their land, were to determine some cities and some suburbs that were part of those cities for the Levites to inhabit, to live in, so that they could have those spiritual centers in, in all of these different areas. And so now the Levites are saying to Joshua, okay, we, we've, you've given out all the land. Now it's time for us to inherit what God has promised to us. And, and so they begin to get all of this land or these cities and these suburbs throughout the rest of chapter 21. They, the, all of the tribes have their land. Now the Levites are getting their land. And we see the three sons of, of Levi are now getting their land. Look in verse 4 and we're just going to read quick snippets of these verses. And the lot came out for the families of the Kohathites. Verse 6, and the children of Gershon. Verse 7, the children of Merari. Look down in verse 20. Again, they're, they're gathering these cities in the suburbs to, to, to live in. Verse 20, and the families of the children of Kohath. Verse 27, and unto the children of Gershon. Verse 34, and unto the families of the children of Merari. We see those names, those, two, or those three names mentioned twice each as they're gathering the land, gathering these cities, gathering the suburbs, these three families, the Kohathites, the Gershonites and the Merarites. The Gershonites are the descendants of Gershon. This is the eldest son of Levi, and they were responsible for the care and transportation of, with, with the tabernacle, the curtains, the coverings, and the hangings that were used in the tabernacle. The Kohathites, these are the descendants of Kohath, another son of Levi, they had a significant responsibility of carrying and caring for the sacred objects within the tabernacle, including the Ark of the Covenant, the table, the lampstand, the altars, other holy items. And then the Merarites, again the descendants of Merari, was Levi's third son. They were tasked with the transportation and maintenance of the structural components of the tabernacle, such as the pillars, the boards, and the sockets. And so all of these different individuals and their families, this tribe, the Levites, were responsible for the spiritual care of Israel. Now all of the tribes, including the Levites, have their inheritance which brings us quickly to verse 43. This is how we get through three chapters. We're already at verse 43 of chapter 21. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he shared to give to their fathers. And they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about, according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered them, or all their enemies, into their hand. This brings us to point number one. If you're taking notes tonight, the success for them. The success for them. It was an incredible success. If you've been tracking along through the book of Joshua, this has been an incredible success. There stood not a man of all their enemies before them. All their enemies were delivered into their hand. But realize this, it was an incredible success because they served an incredible Savior. 
It was not because they were great people. It was because they, they serve an incredible Savior. The Lord gave them rest round about. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. And, and as we serve an incredible Savior, don't ever forget that if we forget about our Savior, you can forget about our successes. Our successes come as we serve the Savior. Remember how all of this started. The Jer- or Jericho, the walls, fell flat and they marched right in. It wasn't because they were great warriors. It was because God flattened the walls and they marched right in. You remember the the battle of Gibeon when God sent hailstones. If you don't remember it, it's in Joshua chapter 10. The battle of Gibeon and Joshua is crying out to God for help. And God sends hailstones that are specifically designed to take out the enemies, to make sure it doesn't take out any of the children of Israel, but laser focus, taking out enemies enemy after enemy after enemy, and they had a great victory because God sending hailstones. It wasn't because they were great warriors, it was because they serve a great Savior, because they serve a great God. You remember, then the sun stood still. Not anything they could have done of their own power, but God gave them the victory as he allowed the sun to stand still, and they had incredible success. We see in our passage here, and the Lord gave them rest round about, according to all that he swore unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them, before them the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. It was God that delivered them. It was the success that only God could have given them. Verse 45, there failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel all came to pass. And that's number two, the scriptures to them. The Lord had spoken the scriptures to them. There failed not aught any good thing which the Lord had spoken. You know, God's word always works. God's word always works. God's word works for our churches. God's word works for our home because God's word always works. God's word works for our marriages because God's word always works. There failed not anything which the Lord had spoken because God's word always works. Making the word of God central to our lives is of utmost importance for the Christian. As we make the word of God central to everything that we do for faith and practice in our church, God honors that and God glorifies that as we lift him up and we make God central, the word of God central to everything we do. I believe that the reason that Rosedale has seen some measures of success is not because we have a great pastor, but because we have a great savior. The word of God is the center of everything that we do. You know, as families, as we make the word of God central to everything that we do in our home, God can be glorified. God is honored by that and God brings success into our homes as we make the word of God central to our marriages. So often we consult all of these other things before we look in to see what God has to say about different areas of our life. We go to marriage conferences, we read marriage books, but we forget about what God says that our marriages should look like. When we start parenting, we read all of these books. Well, should I do it this way or should I do it this way? And there's so many diverse opinions, but it's not a matter of what opinions are out there. It's what does God's word say 
about how we should raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. As we decide what we do as a church and where, where we go as a church and the things we allow as a church, it's not a matter of whose opinion is, is more important or who has different preferences. It's a matter of what does the Word of God say. You know, as we follow the Word of God, God's Word always works. God's word never returns void. And praise the Lord for God's word being central to our lives. But let's turn it around. Is God's word really central to our lives? Is God's word central to my life? Okay, we can talk corporately, and God's word is central to Rosedale Baptist Church, but is God's word central to Steve Smith? Is God's word central to your life? We're three days into a new year. How are you doing reading your Bible, spending time with Him on a daily basis? Is God's Word really central in your life? I would encourage you, we, I asked Adam to put up the reading plan. We mentioned that on Sunday. Some of you were traveling or not able to be here on Sunday. We have a reading plan that pastor is going through and putting notes in and different ones are speaking in throughout the year. And if you're interested in reading the Bible through this year along with pastor, scan the QR code. It's also available on the Rosedale Baptist Church app under resources. It's a great way to read along the Bible. It's a chronological reading plan that he's doing this year, and it's going to be a great way to keep God's Word central to our lives. Are we reading it? Are we studying it? Are we in services where it's taught? Are we spending time in Wednesday workshops? So one of the reasons that we do Wednesday workshops and we have very specific topics that we are covering is because it matters what the Word of God says about leadership. You know, we're all leaders. We all lead in different areas. We have influence because leadership is simply influence. We have influence in people's lives. We have influence in family members' lives. We have influence sometimes at work, sometimes in our community. We have influence in lives. And it matters what the Word of God says about how we use that influence, how our leadership applies. And if we don't study the Word of God to understand what the Word of God says about that, then we can drift by any wind of doctrine. It matters what the Word of God says about how to apply our Christian faith to every aspect of life. And it's the reason that Scott Smith is teaching something called gospel above all. You say, Pastor Steve, we already got the commercial tonight for Wednesday workshops. I know. I just wanted to add to it. But keeping the Word of God central is paramount to a successful Christian life. A successful Christian life is centered around the Word of God. Being in life groups where the Word of God is taught. You know, it's not enough for us to show up once or twice a week and to eat of one meal and get a, get a nice steak dinner and then not eat the rest of the, the, the week. And sometimes we show up for a Sunday morning service and maybe a Wednesday night service and, and we take in that meal, but I must make the Word of God central to my life eating of the, the, the nuggets and the truths that are here each and every day, allowing God's word to permeate who I am. Uh, we, we see the success for them. We see, number two, the scriptures uh, to them. Uh, but look in verse 44, And the Lord gave them rest round about, according to all that he swore unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand, the success. Uh, verse 45, There failed not... Uh, 
not ought any of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto them, the scriptures, uh, unto the house of Israel, all came to pass. And that's number three, the sovereignty with them. The sovereignty with them. God said the walls of Jericho would fall and it came to pass. God said, I will fight the battle for you and it came to pass. God's will will be done. God's word always comes to pass. Now think with me for just a minute. One of God's promises to us is about our problems. It says, our light affliction is but for a moment. We, we know that passage. Our light affliction is but for a moment. But you know, for some, that moment is different than the amount of time that we think it should be. For some, that light affliction that is but for a moment is for a month. For some, it's for a year. For some, it's five years, and it came to pass, and we get past that light affliction. And praise God when we do. God allows us to make it through that. But for others, that light affliction, that thing that oftentimes puts us down or afflicts us, may last for decades. For others, it may be a lifelong affliction. But, you know, God's word and God's will will always come to pass. You know, it's great when we're reading the Bible, and often we see the problems that people faced were only temporary. They were for a short period of time. They didn't last forever. Uh, think of the flood, uh, Noah floating in this boat. Genesis 8 says, and, and it came to pass. There's that phrase. It came to pass in the 600th and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the, the waters were dried up from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. His affliction now has come to pass. Israel's slavery in Egypt it was a major struggle. In Exodus it says, and it came to pass. At the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. We think about the children of Israel as they're wandering. They had hunger while wandering in the wilderness. Exodus 16 says, And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning the dew lay round about the host. This phrase, it came to pass, it was used with Hannah's inability to bear a child. It came to pass that she gave birth to to Samson. The phrase is used with David's persecution by Saul, and it came to pass that Saul died and David became king. For many, our problems come to pass when God's will says it is a temporary situation. And praise the Lord, most of our problems come to pass. If you're a Christian, all of our problems will eventually come to pass. And we can take stock in that, knowing that our problems, even if they are lifelong, will ultimately come to pass. John Roycroft may have battled through an illness for a long period of time, and it may have been something that took his life eventually, but it has now come to pass. And praise God for his complete healing in his life. Our problems will come to pass, but what do you do when problems don't come to pass in this lifetime, but they come to stay. 
It's all about God's word saying it and God's will ordaining it. But at times, God's word and God's will is for the problem to be permanent. Philippians tells us, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. You know, we revel when we read in Scripture that Peter was delivered from prison. But we forget just a few verses earlier that James was killed by Herod. Peter's problem came to pass. James's problem came to stay. Peter's family is rejoicing at his release. James's family is mourning at his beheading. We'll rejoice in the crippled man's healing at the pool of Bethesda, but we forget about the multitudes of others that are at the same place that were never healed. John says, now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of blind and healed, uh, 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 withered, uh, and all waiting to be healed. But their sickness their disease, their condition didn't come to pass. It came to stay. I remember a number of years ago, about 12 years ago, or about 11 or 12 years ago, a situation in my own life. I remember getting a phone call. I was at a business meeting, and my, my dad called me in the middle of that business meeting, and he usually knew my schedule, and so it was rare that he would call me in the middle of a meeting like that. And so I stepped out to take the call. And I remember my dad starting to tell me that he was battling some physical issues that were affecting him. And he had three different things that were happening. He had some, some heart problems that were going on. He had, had some kidney function that was failing. And then to, to cap it all off, uh, he, he was dealing with another issue that was internal. And they were saying that, that they couldn't do anything for any of those three issues because if they did something over here, it would affect the heart and if they tried to affect the heart it would affect something else and and so they told him we can't do anything for you you're battling three separate things but we can't do anything for you and I remember over the course of those coming days, it was, we're praying through that and we're asking God to take this away from him to allow there to be healing in his life and God's will and God's way determines how we're, going to, how we're going to get through those things. And his will will happen. His word is true. His promises are true. That light affliction is still but for a moment. And I remember over the course of that time that, that as they, they started treating some of that with some, some different medicines that were new on the market, trying to get some things, the, the appendix to go down so that they could do some heart surgery and do all of these different things, that God began to work in his body. And I remember him telling me this. He, he told me, he said, I believe that God is going to spare my life at this time. He said, I believe that God still has something for me to do, and I believe that God is going to give me one more year here on this earth to continue the ministry that he has called me to do. And I remember taking that in, and over the coming weeks and months or so, God continued to heal his body of all three of those things. And over the course of that next year, God allowed him to have restored health. His sickness, his light affliction was but for a moment. It came to pass, and it passed over the course of that time. About a year later, 
Uh, I remember that his heart started to get bad again and they decided that he needed to have open heart surgery. And I remember, I'm starting to piece this together. My dad, who was my spiritual hero, my dad, who was a prayer warrior for my entire life, I remember him saying a year earlier, I believe God is going to give me one more year. And I remember that call on a Sunday night. The next day, he's going in for open heart surgery in September, 10 years ago. And he began to tell me, whether God brings me through this surgery or not, God will heal me ultimately. And he began to have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He never said to me, though, in that time that I believe God is going to bring me through this surgery. And I went to bed that night realizing that God was probably going to take him. And over the course of that day, we started to get reports that the surgery was successful, but they could not get his heart restarted coming out of that surgery. But you know, that light affliction that was but for a moment was an affliction that came to stay permanently. That light affliction that God's will was to give him an additional year eventually became God's will to take him permanently. Something that we as a family had to walk through and to deal with the spiritual leader in our family being gone and off the scene. You know, God's will is perfect. God's will was perfect when he healed him. God's will was still perfect when he took him. God's will is true and God's will is perfect no matter what situation we find ourselves in. Sometimes the affliction comes to pass, and sometimes the affliction comes to stay. What do we do when the affliction comes to stay? I think of Paul and how he dealt with it in 2 Corinthians. You don't need to turn in your Bibles there. He said this in 2 Corinthians 12, "...and lest I should be exalted above measure..." Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul dealt with a real physical problem that physically affected him. He says in verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. He wanted this problem gone. He desired to have the problem gone. He dreamed about having the problem gone. He prayed about having the problem gone. But this problem did not come to pass. This problem came to stay. Verse 9 says, And he said unto me, That's God speaking directly to Paul here. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. Somebody needs to hear that tonight. My grace is sufficient for thee. I don't know what you're dealing with tonight, but God says this. My grace is sufficient for thee. Whether you plan to come here or you just stumbled in here tonight, my grace is sufficient for thee. Whether you are in the auditorium or you're watching online, the Bible says my grace is sufficient for you. For some, this light, of, this light will never shine at the end of the tunnel of this life. The heartache will be carried until death. That loved one won't be coming back. This affliction has come to to stay. But when it does come to stay, Paul would say this, number one, accept it. Accept it. Verse 9, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory 
in my infirmities. That idea of glorying in my infirmities, this word is a lot stronger than even acceptance. Glorying in my infirmities, glorying in that trial. Don't live in denial. Don't pretend like it's not there. Make peace with your problems. Accept the fact that it may have come to stay. Paul, three times, he asked the Lord, hey, will you take this problem away? Will you take this problem away? God, will you take this problem away? Paul asking the Lord to take the problem away. But when the Lord clearly tells him no, he shifts gear from requesting to accepting. He accepted that it was here to stay. Number two, when it comes to stay, yield to it. Accept it, but also yield to it. If God has allowed something to remain in your life permanently, God may want to use it for his glory. Verse 10 says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Because when I am weak, it shows the power of God on my life. When I am weak, I can help other people with their infirmities. I can allow God to work through me. I can allow God to do something that's greater than I can do on my own because of my weakness, because of what God is doing through me. God allows me to use that to be an encouragement, to be a blessing, to be a strength to someone else. When the world sees us walking through a permanent trial, something that that sticks with us day after day, week after week, year after year and they see us walking through it with joy because we know the Lord Jesus is in our life and we have yielded to that, man, it does something for them. It encourages them. It draws them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Accept it. Yield to it. Paul accepted it. Paul yielded to it. Number three, when it comes to say, trust God because of it. So many times people let their permanent problems push them away from God. But can I tell you tonight, we should do the exact opposite. When we have problems, it should push us and draw us closer to God. Verse 9, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My grace is sufficient. Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, find grace to help in the time of need. In 2 Corinthians 1, it says, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but we trust in God. Don't let your problems drive you from the Bible. Let it drive you to the Bible. Don't let your problems drive you from prayer. Let it drive you to prayer. Don't let your problems drive you from the house of God. Allow your problems to drive you to the house of God. Don't allow your problems to walk you to drive you away from walking with God. Allow them to drive you to walking with God. From and don't allow them to draw you away from worshiping God, but and draw you to worshiping God. Lastly, tonight, we've seen the success for them, the scriptures to them. But notice, and we've seen the sovereignty with them, but notice number four, the solidarity among them. The solidarity among them. We're back in Joshua, chapter 22. Yes, I know, I have two more chapters. We'll move quickly. Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh. 
And notice, number one, Joshua's praise to them. Remember when Moses told them back in Numbers 32, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? Joshua 22.1 says that Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said unto them, Ye have kept all that, that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded unto you. Moses is gone, and yet you followed through with what you promised. He's giving them praise. Even though Moses is gone, you still followed your promise. You were true to your word. You were obedient to your word. You were obedient to them. Keeping their promise to them wasn't about who they promised it to, but who they were that promised. It was more about their character than about somebody else that they promised it to. And then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said unto them, Ye have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded unto you, but also have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded to you. You didn't just obey Moses, but you obeyed me, Joshua. And most today would have said, my promise was to Moses, not to Joshua. I don't have to follow through on my promise. But you remember in Joshua chapter 1, they said, according as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. You don't obey your, your boss or you don't follow your pastor because of who, of, of who they are. They, they, they had loyalty to a former leader. Moses. They had loyalty to the new guy, Joshua. They had loyalty to the congregation. It was about more of who they were following the promise that they had made. They had loyalty to their brethren. Look in verse 3. You have not left your brethren these many days unto, unto this day. They followed Moses. They followed Joshua. They had loyalty to their brethren, but ultimately they were being loyal to and following God. Verse 3. You have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. Verse 4, And now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren, as he promised them. Therefore now return ye, and get you unto your tents, and unto the land of your possessions, which Moses the Lord, or Moses the servant of the Lord, gave you on this other side of the Jordan. Let me just catch you up to speed. If you remember, these tribes, their inheritance was on the other side of Jordan. And they were willing to claim it before they ever went into and claimed the promised land. But Moses had challenged them, said, hey, you, you can't just sit here and watch your brethren go into battle. You need to come along with, with them. And so they decided, okay, yes, we'll follow that promise. They promised Moses and they promised Joshua. They followed through on those promises and those, those consistent promises and they continued to promise. And that's why Joshua is now praising them. Now it's time for them to go back and to settle into their land on the other side of the Jordan. Joshua praised them. Joshua also blessed them. But number two, Joshua's, we see Joshua's problem with them. Verse 10, and when they came unto the borders of Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see. And the children of, the, of Israel heard say. Now, we know that they're heading back to the other side of Jordan to settle in their land. They stopped there by Jordan to build an altar. And all of the rest of Israel... The children of Israel, verse 11, says they heard say. Sounds very much like the words that we call hearsay. Some would call that gossip. Hearsay. They heard say. 
Verse 12 says that all of Israel, and I'm not going to read it all, is ready to go to war against them. What they believe, the rest of the children of Israel, is that they have set up this altar to start worshiping other gods. To, to turn their back on the one true God. That's what they believe at this time because they had hearsay. Somebody said it and so then they believed it. Somebody gossiped it and so then they just automatically believed it. They, they had hearsay. They had gossip that was happening. And so, well, there's an altar there, so it must be true. And so all of Israel is now out to go battle against these tribes because they had hearsay, because there was gossip that was rampantly flying throughout the, throughout the children of Israel, and they made assumptions based upon this hearsay. Verse 16, they make the accusation, but then in verse 22, all of a sudden it's like, are you going to hear what we have to say before, this, before you come to battle against us? And over the course of the next few verses, in, in verses 22 through 24, we, we see them making a defense, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth, and Israel he shall know, if it be in rebellion or if it be in transgression against the Lord, save us not this day, that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer thereon burnt offering or meat offering, or if to, uh, to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require it. And if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, In time to come your children might speak unto your children, saying, What have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you, ye children of Reuben and children of Gad. Ye have no part in the Lord, so shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Uh, What they're saying here is, we are setting up an altar to be a connection point between us and to you, recognizing that we all serve the same God. And in verse 29, they kind of sum it up. God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord and turn this day from following the Lord, to build an altar for burnt offerings, for meat offerings, or for sacrifices beside the altar of the Lord our God that is before his tabernacle. Let me just make a, make a point here. So all of this gossip goes out, this hearsay. They believe it, and the children of Israel are ready to go to battle with their brethren. And the reason they're willing to go to battle is because they believe something that isn't true. They believe something that they heard that isn't true. And, and now think back with me. They've just gone through this entire battle with them. They've gone to war with their brothers. They left, these two and a half tribes have left over here to go with their brethren all the way through till the bitter end to make sure that they can accomplish what they need to accomplish to claim their land. And now a few verses later, they're ready to go to war with those that went all the way out of their way to follow through on a promise because they heard say, and they made assumptions about what that meant. Uh, once they finally realized that that isn't true, they, 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 Phinehas in verse 30, the priests and the princes of the congregation, the heads of the thousands of Israel which were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the children of Manasseh spake, it pleased them. But they went a long way of realizing, to realize that there was no problem with them serving the same God because they believed in the hearsay. 
One of the most revolutionary things that, that my wife and I have learned in the past few years, and I've shared it with many, is not assuming bad intent. You know, so often we hear something about someone and we assume bad intent about that situation. Or we assume that all of the facts that I was given have to be true. And then we make assumptions about someone else based upon that situation. Or in marriage, sometimes we look at the facial expressions and not just the words that they're saying. And we begin to assume what they mean, not just what they're saying. We've given each other the the ability to, as soon as we start reading into someone else's intent, our the intent of the other spirit spouse, we can call them on it and say, hey, don't read into my intent, just hear the words that I'm saying. Don't read into intent because the Bible says, love believeth all things. And as Christians, we are to give the benefit of the doubt. We are to believe all things. We are to get to the bottom of truth, not hear what someone else has to say about another brother or another sister and just assume that it's true. Sometimes we believe all of these things about someone else, and when we finally get to the bottom of it, it's not not the case at all. That's what the children of Israel did here. They had hearsay, and they believed it. Lastly, we see Joshua preaching to them. All throughout chapter 23, he's speaking to all of Israel. And it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all the enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. Joshua called for all Israel and their elders, heads and judges, officers, said unto them, I'm old and stricken of age. And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Over the course of this passage, we'll see that he is preaching to them to continue to exalt God. Continue to obey God. Continue to cleave to God. Continue to love God. Exalt God. Obey God. Cleave to God. Love God. And it says in verse 6, Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. Be ye therefore very courageous. You remember in the beginning of the book? Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and of a good courage. Be strong and of, of a good courage. Over and over, Moses told Joshua, be strong and of a good courage. Moses told the children of Israel, be strong and of a good courage. Uh, Moses, uh, can, or, or Joshua began to, to hear that from the people and from God and from all of these other sources, be strong and of a good courage because they were about to take on battle after battle after battle after battle in their life. But now that they've seen the success of battle and God being victorious time after time after time, he tells them at the end of his life that just because you've seen all this victory doesn't mean that you've gotten all the success that God wants to accomplish in your life. Hey, continue to be strong and of a good courage. Continue to be strong and of a good courage. Continue to be very courageous and keep to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Continue to keep the Bible, the word of God, as the center of everything that you do. And I think the challenge to us tonight is, hey, is the Bible, is the word of God, the center of everything that we do? It is this book that will keep us guarded throughout our life. It is this book that will allow us to have success in our Christian life. The book of Joshua is all about a victorious Christian life. And we see they had victory as long as they kept God at the center of it. As soon as God started getting off the center, they had problems. And we we saw that all throughout Joshua. But as long as they kept God in the center of it, hey, didn't mean they didn't have trials. 
but God gave them success after success after success. As we begin a new year, can I encourage you? Hey, keep this at the center of your life. Keep looking to the book. Keep it in front of you day after day. Allow it to permeate who you are and what you do. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would use these thoughts, these very quick words and and covering way too much tonight, Lord. I pray that you would just center our thoughts on the fact that the word of God is true, that your will is perfect in our life. Lord, allow us to claim your promises. Allow us to recognize that your grace is sufficient in our problems. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to to walk in this life circumspectly because of what you're teaching us in the Word of God. Help us to be 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 permeating our life in 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 on a daily basis and in services and in groups. And Lord, help us to keep the Word of God center in everything we do. And we praise you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen.